And we're back with the Insignificant Others podcast. This is podcast number 18, and this is Brett Featherston. I'm here with Rob Flint, as always. Rob, how are you? Good evening, Brett. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Excited about our guest tonight. Our podcast guest is none other than the investigative reporter. I'm sorry, the senior investigative reporter. I'm sure that's about just that you're the best at it, not that you're the oldest at it. Senior investigative reporter for CBS Channel 11, KTBT, Ginger Allen. Ginger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That's funny that you stuck on that word because that was a big question in one of my last contracts, if I really wanted that senior in there or not. And so what does senior mean? <laughs> I think it means I've been there a long time. And when I look in the mirror, maybe it means I do have a lot of wrinkles <laughs> around my eyes. How long have you been with CBS? I have been there since 1999. Wow, that is a while. It is a long time. It's a long time, particularly for a broadcast journalist, because we tend to jump around from one place to the other. But I was about to say, usually it seems like people are going or traveling through the DFW market to try to get to a bigger market. Was that ever part of your plan? Absolutely. Um, and I can't actually say that Dallas was ever part of my plan. I grew up in California. I knew I'd have to move away for a while to work different markets. I always thought I would go back, but along came this guy and moved here and 18 years later, two kids. And then you get here and you think, okay, this is the fifth largest market in the country. I I've got to get back to LA home or, or New York to get to one of the biggest markets, but we love it here. Yeah. And I love CBS 11, and I've, I've had talks with other places and thought about moving other directions, and you just decide, nope, this is home, and this is where I want to be. Well, hey, Brett, the, the good news is when I drove up to get here, there were no uh, TV vans outside because... No big antennas. I was worried. I was worried because she is a senior investigative reporter that maybe we were the subjects of one of her... <laughs> one of her reports, and she probably would have like good reason. Minutes, yeah. She would have good reason to do that, but... Thankfully, yeah. nobody's parked yeah, outside. I would, I, would, I would imagine that if you're a business or part of the, uh, you know, work for the government, you don't want Ginger Allen showing up at your front door. It's really so, kind of funny because you both know me on a personal level. Yes. And so you know that it's so contrary to my personality, probably the side of me that you know. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I, I, we know sweet Ginger. Mm -hmm. I bet work Ginger is a bulldog. <laughs> I'm just very different. Yeah. I think I am. I just had that conversation. Um you know me as Ginger Shaker. Yeah. And Ginger Allen, I think, is just a very different, very, let's get the job done. If if you're not handling something correctly or if you're not being given a voice, and I believe you should, mm -hmm. then I'm going to stand up for you. <laughs> is Allen your maiden name? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so in your career, you have won numerous awards. So I was looking through your bio from the Edward R. Murrow Award, the Lone Star Emmy Award, a Stephen Philbin Award from the Dallas Bar Association, the Texas Gavel Award. You have won a ton of awards, which which I'm going to take it to mean that you're really good at what you do. So, so No, I've just done it for a long time. Remember we established <laughs> that. <laughs> So CBS is pretty lucky to get you where, you know, it was probably going to be a stepping stone to a bigger market and getting you to stay here. Does that happen very often within the rest of the station? Are there other people that do that too? I mean, I can see people falling in love with the area, but... I think so. I think when you get in some of those top 10 markets in broadcast journalism, you have people who always want to move on to the network or move on to, you know, number one or number two, which is New York and LA. But when you get into those top 10... Um, you're pretty happy. It's a great journalism environment. They're doing great work. You're working with people that you have so much respect for. So I think a lot of people get settled in those top 10 markets. Now, beyond that, you have people jump around all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what I thought we'd do is start talking about uh, a little bit about uh, your background and how you got into TV. And, uh, and then I'd love to hear some about your the investigations you've done. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about before we start recording about the one you're doing now, but tell us a little bit. You grew up in Southern California. What was it like growing up? Normal middle class upbringing. Anything mm -hmm. notable about that? I think I was like a lot of. We all have boys the same age, yep. uh, and then I have a little girl. I think I was very much like our kids. Oh, we I all was, have girls the same age, too. There you go. Yeah, yeah we do. That's right. Boys and girls. As yeah. I said it, I'm sorry. Don't, don't uh, ignore the kid that I 
I actually like. <laughs> you actually said the other day she was your favorite. Oh my gosh. I hope my son's not listening to this podcast. I know we're going to broadcast it. No, I think you said it right in front of him, Oh, I Rob. did. I, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> we do. We have boys and girls all the same age. Um, and I think I was involved in everything I could possibly get involved in, um, like them. But I also knew, and I think this is why I was talking about our boys, I was just a year older than them. I was in ninth grade when I walked through the living room, and I had always loved speaking and had been involved in different speaking opportunities, and I loved to write. And I remember right where I was in my parents' house when something came up about what I would do in the future, and my mom looked at the TV and said, I think you should do that. Oh, wow. So one year older than our boys. Wow. And from that moment, did you go, yes, I, I want to do that and start working towards it? And never looked back. And now sometimes I blame my mom for that. <laughs> so who, who were some of your early inspirations? Oh, my gosh. Um, Ann Martin mm-hmm. was on the local CBS station at the time. I went on by the time, and I can kind of walk through that, but by the time I got into college at UCLA and got to internship at the local station, um, I remember walking by her and asking her, how do you do it? Because I really want to be a wife and a mom, too. And her advice to me is something I've told many journalists when I go speak to them now is, um, it's a balancing act, and you'll figure it out. And that sounds crazy, but it is a balancing act, and that came from her early on. You know, it's funny, uh, just completely getting off topic, I've, I've told people about work-life balance, is it's never in balance. It swings back and forth, <laughs> and you just got to know that you got to, it's kind of like a teeter-totter. You got to push it back and... Focus on family if you've been focused on work. There is no such thing as work life balance because it's always out of balance. I love that. I'm going to repeat that now. It is true. You're always out of it. Yeah. But you're always working to get it back. Okay. So for anybody listening to this, so my daughter, my oldest daughter has talked about doing something in, in journalism. Uh, what advice do you have for kids that want to be on TV, that, that want to do what you do? I don't think you can ever start too early. I just told you, I know I made a decision early on about what I wanted to do. And I know that's not common at all. But for anybody that is thinking about it, look for every opportunity you can to speak. I spoke at my eighth grade graduation. We are the people was the big song. Remember that? We are the people. Oh, yeah. we, are the wor- we are the world. We are the so world. it yeah. was, so my speech was, we are the world. We are the people. It's up to us to start making a difference. And I, I remember the speech, eighth grade. But I wanted to be the one to speak. And then I wanted to make sure that every chance I got, whether it was ASB president or trying out for this opportunity, that I got up in front of a bunch of people and learned how to and, speak. Yeah. But more importantly than learning how to speak, every writing opportunity. Every opportunity. Do you write your own stories now? Absolutely. And it's so funny that people ask me that. Yes. I mean, certainly I have producers that work for me and every once in a while something is written for you. Um, But my investigative reporting, I write 80% of them. Really? Yes. I mean, I have fantastic producers who go write it, but you still want to go back and put your hands on it. That's what got me into what I do and that's what I love. Now, that's as an investigative reporter. I spent many, many years anchoring. Yeah, well, you were anchored in Cincinnati, right? I didn't anchor in Cincinnati. I was a reporter in Cincinnati, but I anchored when I came here. Okay. And I anchored prior to that in Bakersfield. So do you write your own stories as an anchor, or do you write your own script? No. You do go in, um, and you do go in. I I anchored our morning show for a long, long time, and I didn't write much for that because by the time you got there, you were just trying to get on air. But um, those are written for you. So when you see the anchors sitting on the desk... Most of that material has been written, but they've also come in and written some of the short stories that are coming up in between. We do this because we're journalists, so we love to speak, and we love to write. And so any young person wanting to get into this has to know it's not all about somebody writing it for you and you sitting there reading it and somebody does your hair and somebody does your makeup. It's not half as glamorous Mm -hmm. as many young people may think. You're saying that uh, Ron Burgundy wasn't an actual (laughs) (laughs) description of what it's like. There's probably a lot of truth to that. (laughs) There really is. (laughs) Okay, without naming names, uh, completely getting off the, my, the, the linear path that I had previously described. I'm afraid of where you're going with it. Without naming names, is there anyone that you've worked with where you go, that guy is so much like Ron Burgundy? Oh, certainly. 
Certainly. <laughs> okay, now then. And names. I'm going to tell you, Doug Dunbar, our main anchor, can do a Ron Burgundy like no one else. You know, he doesn't <laughs> act like him. That's funny. He does <laughs> a great impression. <laughs> I would think that, that uh, you know, a movie like that probably did as much harm as it did good for, for your profession. It did, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of satires out there about a lot of... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of roles, right? Gotta laugh so at it, yeah. you have to laugh at it. There's certainly a lot of truth to it, but okay, so a lot you, of hardworking people. Ninth grade, you decide you want to be on TV. You go to UCLA. Did you work on like the the school radio, the school TV station? Did they have that back then? Well, and you mentioned your daughter's interest in it. Yeah. So that's another. Back then, it was the local cable TV station. So by the time I was 18 years old, there was a local cable station. Downey Continental Cable, and I knew there was a heated political race going on, so I went down there and told them I wanted to do everything I could to help cover that, and I ended up right in the heart of something at 18 years old in this race one night, and we rushed back to get it on the local cable station, and I laugh to this day because I think I had five viewers that night. Of course, my mom and dad, and then maybe yeah. the three friends that I told about. But it was that opportunity, and that's something else I encourage young people to do, is intern in whatever you're interested in. But there's certainly an opportunity out there. For me, it was, I could name three different cable stations I had been worked on and had been live on TV by the time I was 19 years old. But at UCLA, I was blessed enough to be in the number two market in the country, which was Los Angeles. And so I interned. You just go in there and you tell them, I, I, I'll Whatever, pick up trash yeah. off the floor. And then, yeah. hey, can I go out? I mentioned Dan Martin. Can I go out with her today? She's going on a story. So that was, I think, two avenues that I absolutely advised every young person. So has that changed now? I mean, with, with um, the internet and then um, social media forums for aspiring journalists to get their word out or to fine-tune their craft, do you see more and more young people pursuing those avenues to create their persona and or kind of legitimize their skills? I think there are so many more avenues for them yeah. to do that now. And um, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, for example, this is what we just talked about the other day, when in my day, in the very beginning, in fact, my first resume was on a three-quarter inch tape. Do you guys even know what those were? They were these big, huge three-quarter inch tapes that you sent your resumes out on. And then that went to a beta tape, and then it went to a smaller CD-type version. Now it's all yeah. digital, and now you're, you can email your resume to anyone you know, on tape. And we still call it on tape. Right. But it's your reel. Mm-hmm. And that's how you got judged. And we also just joked in the IT office the other day that we would say, you know, once a story was on, if, if you didn't like it or you had made a mistake, you could say, oh, well, it's, it's over with. Tomorrow's a new day. No one could see it. No one could go back and grab it and watch it. Well, now anybody will live can go on. back yeah. and watch your work. You're really only as good as your last story that was on. And then for those news directors out there wanting to hire you, they're not just looking at that three-quarter inch tape or, or that CD you sent. If I want to review your work on your podcast, mm-hmm. I'll go watch any one of those I want. You can send me your best work, but if yeah. I want to hire you, I'm going to go watch every yeah. single one of them. So it's completely changed. And that's just on the personal Don't level. listen to this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that was a compliment. <laughs> Uh-oh. But social media has had no, but a I major a, impact on journalism. And, I, I've, I, and, I, and I'm not just saying this because you're here. I always thought that um, if I didn't pursue the career that I've pursued, that I would, I would have maybe wanted to get into journalism. Um, and we talked earlier about, I mean, I love radio. I still love radio to this and day. And you're a fantastic writer. I, I, you write I like some to of write. the funniest things I've ever You're nice to say that. I have a face for radio. Um, but, but, you know, I, I see these young folks and I'm just going to use this as an example, let's say on Fox news channel where they, in my opinion, they've got these extremely young folks that are out there that have established this following. Um, and, and, you know, you can, you can argue as to whether or not it's, it's true quote unquote reporting, but Mm -hmm. they're on major networks on primetime getting, getting, you know, airtime. Which is amazing because you would never have seen that, you know, back in, early on. Yeah, we had to work our way up. Yeah, big time. Yeah, 
And they have really good agents, some of them. Some of them do. Okay. <laughs> See? I don't know that. So, uh, we you have... would have been great at those, Rob. <laughs> oh, I don't you know. He would have been fantastic. I, I think you need to get out of the consulting gig. And get into <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stick with that. So, uh, we had the, the beautiful Sabrina Schiller on, and I know you know her. I do. And, uh, one she of did the... Sabrina's Solutions. Yeah, Sabrina's first Solutions. moved here. I was just a general assignment reporter, but she did Sabrina's Solutions. She was talking about how much her success in, in getting on TV, how much hustle it just took. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to get out there and hustle and work harder than the, than the other people there. Is that still true? I definitely think it is. And going back to what you were talking about with social media, that's made us have to hustle even more. Probably even since Sabrina has left, yeah. it's amazing the difference. Because now, it used to be that we could break something at 5 o'clock, and you weren't going to find out about it until we told you about it at the top of the hour. We can't hold that anymore. We've got to break it on Facebook. We've got to break it on yeah. Twitter. We have Instagram accounts. We have to push that as quickly as possible because... If CBS 11 doesn't do it, then somebody across town's going to have it, and then they're going to have the scoop on that, and then you're going to watch them for that information. So the hustle is not just, I've got to turn a story for the 4 o'clock and the 5 o'clock, and then I need a quick version for the 10. It's all these other mediums that are now out there. Yeah, you expect instant news. It's funny, uh, maybe it was Thursday, Susie called me, she was out driving, and she said, there's these buses going by with like a police escort. You know, Google it and see what's going on. I couldn't figure out what it was, but the expectation was I could just get on Google and find out who these people were, what it was like. I think she thinks it was, I I didn't realize the women's NCAA national championship game was in Dallas. It was those buses. Yes, that was exciting. Is that what it was? I I think so. That's what we assume. And that's it. You get on and you Google it immediately. And let's put this in perspective. If if I haven't reported it to you or CBS 11 hasn't reported it to you, you're going to go somewhere else and follow them for that information. But that's so different than the days when Sabrina and I and so so many of the rest of us started. So I think the hustle's even worse. Mm -hmm. But probably some of that too is just you've got so much information to get on, get out there. I think it would surprise people how much work goes into a day's work to put on a two-minute piece. Right, right. Yeah. I I believe that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so was uh, Bakersfield your first job, first real? So I always say I started at KCBS in Los Angeles because I got to do so much behind the scenes, but that was field producing and ripping script and and picking up trash off the floor, whatever they needed me to do. But then I went from there and I worked in Palm Springs and they allowed me to be on air for a short time in Palm Springs. Beautiful city, but one of the smallest markets. Okay, so that was your first, like, I've got a job on TV and I'm actually in front of the camera. Yeah, well, actually Bakersfield, because Palm Springs was still a gig I had going that was almost more of an internship, but they they wanted me on air and they let me go on air. So you were taking it because... Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, my yeah. You goodness. had to take you whatever. Would do whatever Just you get can on do. Air. Absolutely. To learn this, but also to make your mistakes in a very small yeah. market. So Bakersfield, I went in at two o'clock in the morning and anchored the morning cut-ins and was a general assignment reporter. And then it was a weekend anchor in Bakersfield. And ironically, that's where I met my husband Scott. Um, and then he moved, okay. and I'd ask you that before I we moved. went on. But the farm, yes. the farmland out there, that yeah. yes, okay. it was great agriculture. He's in the agricultural business, and so California, and particularly yeah. Central California, was fantastic for that. Um, I needed to be in a small TV market so I could make those mistakes and learn all that we learn in those small markets. So I anchored and reported out there, and then my next gig was in Cincinnati, Ohio. So you asked me how I got to Cincinnati, Ohio. And that was with, so I worked at ABC in Bakersfield, then NBC in Cincinnati, Ohio. And in Cincinnati, I was really blessed. I was a lead nighttime reporter. They let me do some fill-in anchoring. You asked me about that. But I also worked with what was called NBC News Channel. So I still, to this day, say this was probably some of the most exciting reporting I ever did because all the affiliates in the country would use me when they needed a reporter just to send out and report for all the affiliates. So you weren't quite at the network level, but if there was something really big that had happened, you had the opportunity to go out and cover it for all of the affiliates, and it would be fed out. Hmm. So you could go national at that time. Absolutely. And we were on MSNBC, and we followed lots of tornadoes, so the Weather Channel would take us at times. So this was in my mid to late 20s, and it was extremely exciting 
particularly for my family on the West Coast because I was halfway across the country and I waited for the phone to ring so that I could go out on one of these assignments. So um, it was the ball drop in New York. It was the tornado that hit Nashville. It was Hurricane Danny that hit the um, East Coast at that time. And one one weather event after another, but you were waiting for the call to go on the next big story. And remember, at this time, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's a 40-something market. I've met this guy I want to marry back in Bakersfield, so we got to figure out where to get to a big place to work. And, um, of course, I'm loving journalism and not really wanting to settle down, still thinking I'm going back to L.A. or New York to work. But the gig came along in Dallas, and he moved here to Dallas, and so that was a great place to follow the agricultural business. And I'm thinking Dallas is a top five market. And so CBS called me back here, and I left the gig that I love so much with NBC that let me travel so much. You're not married, you don't have kids. Yep. And came back here. So that was 1999. And been here ever since. I have been here ever since. And I, I joke, I have worn almost every single hat there is to wear in the newsroom. Um, except flying the chopper, and I'm not so convinced they won't call me for chopper training <laughs> next week. <laughs> you, you said 1989? 99. Did 99. I say okay. 89? I meant 99. 99. Okay. Just yes. Want to make sure. Yeah, we don't need to stretch the senior <laughs> no, part know, of that was... anywhere. So I'm glad you corrected yeah, me. Okay, 99. <laughs> yeah, 99 is when I came back here and have been here ever since. So you have one of the longest tenures in the DFW market. I think I do. Mm-hmm. Even when I anchored our morning show, there was a point where Scott Sams and I had been the longest-running morning team there for just a short time. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. how long have you been doing investigative reporting? I have done investigative off and on. Do you guys remember Tracy Rowlett? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Tracy is a good friend, mentor of mine. He came to do our, um, our 10 o'clock show and be our main anchor when he came from across town. And I remember sitting around editorial meetings with him, and I love stories that were enterprising and innovative, where I could dig. I mean, I had spent so much of my career, with all due respect to covering the local parade or whatever the local crime was that day, everybody in town was doing that. So I'd come to the table and I'd go, hey, there's this issue I really want to dig into. Tracy picked up on that, and I probably do investigative reporting because of him, because he came to me and he said, we really need you to move over into the investigative reporting. You're bringing stories to the table no one else is talking about. You'd like to dig. Um, it, I, I humbly say, he said, you know, you have the brains to dig into these things, so I think you should take that direction. The first thing I said to Tracy was, um, this was shortly after the tornado had hit Fort Worth. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. I loved being live. There's nothing I got a bigger thrill out of mm-hmm. than getting out on a tornado or a a hurricane and following it and being live and talking nonstop. Mm -hmm. But this was going to pull you back and you weren't going to do that general assignment reporting. You were going to end up, you know, working on pieces maybe for weeks or months before they ever go to air and you weren't on. Tracy, I don't want to do that. That's, that's not what I'm good at. I'm good at the walking and the talking and the showing and the telling. And I'm so thankful for him now because I really do feel like this is where I can make a difference with my reporting. So, you know, you're not going to change the world with every story, mm-hmm. but we certainly have a chance of making an impact with some of the investigative reporting we do. But I kind of attribute it to him. So, I mean, I think I'm going I'm to ask some questions that I think that um, I think people who watch the news and think they know what it is that you guys have to go through know, but maybe not know. So when, you, when you're on live TV or you're about to go live and, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you see it, you know, you got these bright lights in your face and... And you have someone talking in your ear, I'm assuming, that says, you know, okay, three, two, one, mm-hmm. you're on. I mean, so are you, are you speaking completely ad lib at that time? Are you reading off of some kind of a card or some kind of a digital cue? So walk me through that process because I think that we assume, we meaning the Joe Blows that watch the news, and we don't really know how that all unfolds. The answer to your questions are yes, yes, and yes. It's okay. every one of those. Every one of them. So in a live-breaking situation, um, we hear officers are shot downtown. Mm-hmm. It's going to end up being one of the biggest national stories there is. We move every crew we possibly can okay. to downtown Dallas because this is happening. And they tell us the minute you get there and you can get a signal up, you're live. You're gone. You you're don't have good. time to think about that. You just 
go. And that goes back to what I was just telling you. That is one of my favorite so things rush. to do. Oh. So do you have, okay, here's, because news, cha- I mean, it can change on a dime and at any point. I mean, it could change as you're talking Absolutely. midway. So do you have somebody talking in your ear? It's a little bit so, of both. So, I, you know, let's say there's, there's something that breaks and, mm-hmm. you know, we need to funnel it down to you. So I'm, I'm saying, Ginger, okay, there's now two confirmed dead and suspect is still at large. And so you're, you're processing that, but you're also talking at the same time, which can't be easy. It's true. You kind of do have several different processes going at the mm-hmm. same time. So honestly, you can't stand the producer who won't shut up in your ears. Yeah. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> but you also need them feeding you information. Yeah. So in those live breaking situations where you're talking and they need you just to keep going, you're hoping they're coming back and they're feeding you some information okay. so that you can say it. Uh, that's live in the field. Yes. Live on the desk. Let's go back to, and I'm using the example of, you know, officers downtown. Sure. One of the biggest stories we've had here in the last few years. So the people in the field are walking and talking and saying everything they can to show you the scene. And a producer may be talking in your ear to give you some information. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you're on the scene. So you have the latest and you're trying to get it. The person sitting back on the desk, the anchor, is really relying on the producer in their ear. So when you turn on the news and you see, you know, breaking news, we're cutting into this programming right now because that's being fed to them in their ear, Okay. typically, in a live breaking situation um, by a producer. But the reporter on the scene is considered the expert and needs to be getting that information out there. So that's breaking, and you ask that. When you turn on the news at 5 or 6 o'clock at night and you see a reporter standing there and there's nothing breaking going on behind them, they've typically worked all day long to gather that information, or they've had at least an hour or so to get there and get the information. And that's something they've planned out, what they're going to say and how they're going to deliver it. And we're trying to deliver it as quickly as we can with the most information so we're not taking a lot of your time. So that's planned. So it's very different. And then they might be live with a little bit of video that rolls behind it, Mm -hmm. or they might have spent their whole day putting together what we call a package or a story, which is about a minute and a half version of something that's been edited, and that's laid to tape. Mm-hmm. And rolled, and so that's all been pre-produced. Okay. So it's you know sometimes you're live and you're not even you're just talking. Sometimes you have an idea of what you're going to say and you've planned it out. And then if you're back at the desk, you're heavily relying on someone to give you that information. Okay. So you're right on every level. Well, no, well, I just I think it, I mean I think to anyone who watches the news, it, it's fascinating just to kind of try to understand what it is that goes on behind the scenes. Well, and talk about behind the scenes. Have you ever seen them pull what we call the IFB, which is our earpiece out of our ear? Um, it's, have you ever seen them standing there and they're talking and all of a sudden they take it and they, you can see they've taken something out of their ear and then they keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's typically one of two reasons. They might be getting some kind of feedback. So they're hearing themselves and it's driving them crazy or the, the producers back there giving them far too much information, uh, oh, like, and they so just need to be able to talk. Being fed in right, the and they're trying to talk at the same right. time. Right, and not to blame it on the producer. It could also just be an open mic back behind the scenes, so they're yeah. getting all this feedback. But I, I guarantee you, you guys will be watching the news, you know, in the next week or something, and you'll Somebody see else. someone take. Yeah, that's that's, that's what's happening. So we typically have that in our ear. I just think it would be completely crazy to to try to speak elegantly and yes. coherently with somebody chattering in your ear. I don't think I could do that. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Susie doesn't couldn't. do that to you? <laughs> Tracy does that to me all the time. Now, now I, you know I don't speak eloquently <laughs> or coherently. Yeah, even without chatter, I can't do that. Hey, so. now. You know how much I love Tracy and Susie, so I'm here to defend them. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time. We heavily rely on them, too. Yeah. Because sometimes you're standing out there, and they want you live, and they want you talking in a breaking news situation, and you're saying, well, get me some information so I'm not just standing here. What was the movie with William Hurt in... Uh, Broadcast News? Broadcast News, Yeah. Where that was one where they're like they were talking about like two confirmed dead or whatever and it comes out and I, I still think that that's got to be a, a skill that is learned over time because that would be wow. so hard. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't. It's there is definitely we talked about it like a hustle, but an adrenaline rush that we get from being the first person to give you the information. Mm-hmm. You so know? you're an adrenaline junkie. I, I think I am. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's why when Tracy came to me and said, we really think you should step back and do this investigative, I'm like, no, I want to keep going live, breaking news. But the older I get, the more I enjoy this. And 
you got to balance it out with being a mom and being able to get home, and that doesn't always work with a lot of breaking news. So tell us about the competition amongst the local networks to get on the air first with a breaking Huge. story. I mean, I mean, it's, yes, I would imagine, but I mean, what's that process like? I mean, you know, I mean, but beyond just the, obviously, the collection of information and, 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 you know, getting somebody on, on air, if you will, uh, are, are you guys cognizant of, okay, we've got to get this on and somebody's checking NBC or ABC or whatever other news, you know. Do you want me to give you the whole behind the scenes scoop yeah. of what goes on when you see that? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so every newsroom mm-hmm. is filled with TV monitors. Mm-hmm. We're not just watching, at CBS, we're not just watching what four, five, and eight are doing. We're watching what the whole country is covering mm-hmm. and, and all of the networks. And the second a local station cuts in with something that our desk, that's the assignment desk, who's typically, you know, running our crews and listening to scanners. It's kind of old talk now, but gathering the information of what's happening with all of the station, the, the local police stations and fire and knowing all the emergencies that are going on. If we've missed something, there's a lot of bad words flying in the newsroom. There's a lot of screaming and yelling, yeah. and it's why are they all on? And you want to be the first one on with the information. Mm-hmm. It is very, very, very bad to see the other networks cut in with something, especially if we're completely oblivious to it. Yeah, if you don't even know about it. Oh, oh. it's bad. It's bad. So uh, it, I want to hear about some of the investigative yeah. reporting you've done. So. Tell us about, I'll give you a couple questions with this, and then you can run with it, but some of the most memorable reports you've delivered, because you've won awards for it, you've you've probably saved some lives. Oh, thanks. Uh, But tell us some of the most memorable ones, and was there ever a time where you felt like you might be in danger of, like, bringing something to light that people didn't want to see the light of day? In danger, I wasn't at all. Well, with some of the... um, some of the hurricanes that we followed on the East Coast when I was in traveling with NBC News Channel, I was certainly in situations I shouldn't have been in then. Mm-hmm. Wasn't married, didn't have kids, you know, yeah. thought I was invincible, definitely did things. So is a I hurricane worse than a tornado? Um, Sorry. I've, you know why I think that? No, that's okay, and I can go back to that too. I'll tell you why I think. I've never been in a hurricane. I've never been. Well, I mean, she's covered all these horrible. What you know? I've never been in a hurricane. I'm just really. Have you been in a tornado? I've been in. Yeah, I mean, like I'm from Oklahoma. I mean, you know. Anyway, just real quick. I've never been in the heart of either one, but I've certainly been in the bands of a hurricane and and in the direction of a tornado. I think. I guess they're both predictable. I don't know why I find the hurricane a little bit more. Frightening. Okay. I feel like with the tornado, we kind of can watch where they are, particularly with the advancements in weather that we have now. And yeah. I mean, with a hurricane, we try to just get so close to it to yeah. cover it. I think that was some of my most frightening situations. I remember being asked um, by MSB, MSNBC one time because they knew I was from California, but I was in Florida covering a hurricane. And they asked me what was more frightening, an earthquake or a hurricane. Oh, wow. And I said that a hurricane was far more frightening because, I mean, that an earthquake was far more frightening because you can't predict it. Sure. You don't Absolutely. know it's coming, yeah. and then you can't control it. But a hurricane, you could kind of get away so from it. So we're ranking the natural disasters yeah. right now. Yeah, we so are. I know. So back to I, Earthquake impact. number one, hurricane in, number two, and tornado <laughs> number three. Okay. I lived in Very Southern good. California during the Northridge earthquake. And that's what I told people. It's just like there, there, there's no warning at all. Yeah. It just it wakes you up out of bed, literally almost tossing you out of bed. But at least with a hurricane and a tornado, there, you know, there's some warning. You take for it. shelter too. Yeah, you can't Sorry. take shelter except you get under the doorway. You know, yeah, for for an earthquake, but I you did, take shelter. I didn't mean to digress, but I was. Now just that's curious. funny that you asked that because we've been asked that before, and then I've actually had them ask me. Live to compare it to the earthquake, um, but you asked but, me. The but most... I think tsunami will be the top natural. Anyway, oh, yeah, that's I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I knew you guys would be fun. <laughs> Rank the natural disasters. <laughs> okay, okay. So the most memorable reporting you've done, the investigator, because you've uncovered a lot of mm-hmm. a, a lot of different. Um, I don't want to f- say it's corruption necessarily, but some maybe unfair practices. Uh, any memorable ones that stick out in your mind, even to this day? I think 
when, um, and it's a place you guys probably drive by a lot, one in the last few years that still sticks in my mind a lot was the Dawson State Jail. Dawson State Jail is right downtown. It was a nine-story building that housed um, primarily women, but some men, and they were inmates who were in there not because they had murdered someone or it was it was more they had written a bad check or prostitution and and not to lessen the impact of DUIs but this was some of the reasons they were in there they were hardened criminals and we had heard from repeated sources that there was a problem in the jail and that these inmates weren't getting the medical attention they needed and they were getting very sick and then we heard some of them were dying because of it. And um, every time I would pass by this jail, I would think about, we had interviewed some of the families that had loved ones that had been lost in there simply because they got sick in there. And I mean, this is a privately run jail, but oh, it was state run. regulated. Okay. And so our tax dollars were contributing to it. And um, so we got kind of attached to some of the families, and we did one story and another story, and then more stories would come out of there about problems. And I would drive by this jail. You can see it when you drive by downtown. And I just felt like I heard these people crying out, help us, help us. Like, we're sick in here. We're dying. And and, and I, I literally would drive by in my car and hear myself. We did this investigation for about two years, and I'm leading up to, to where this went. Um I would say out loud, I hear you, I hear you, we'll keep the investigating going. Um, former employees came forward talking about some of the alleged abuse in there. And this seems like a movie, the timing of it. But while we were investigating it and hearing about all of these cries coming from this jail, a baby was born in the jail. And we started hearing on the desk that, that a pregnant woman in there had given birth and that this baby hadn't survived. Mm. And she they didn't had give been, her proper medical care. They didn't anything? give her proper medical care. Oh. And we, I said that can't be true. This is just someone that's heard our story. They're calling and they're complaining because we had told three or four other stories, horror stories from out of there. That can't be true. It's just another crazy call, and that's a whole that'd be a whole other segment. The crazy calls we get on the desk, but that that can't happen. It turned out to be true, and so based on our investigation, we told that story, and based on all that that we had uncovered from there. Um, the jail was eventually shut down. And I stood outside the jail when these busloads of people were leaving from there and being transported mm. other places. And so I still drive by and see that building. They're still debating the city of Dallas of what to do with that building. But I somehow felt like our reporting potentially saved some of the people in there. So, so two years? So... Were there yes. multiple stories? That multiple. You, that, I mean, so this is not just a single blockbuster Mm-mm. aha moment story. This was multiple stories over a two-year period that just culminated into this jail being And then right out. in the middle of our investigation, we get the call at the desk that the, the worst thing you could possibly wow. think had wow. happened was, you know, someone kept saying, I'm pregnant, I need help. and That's incredible. And that's what had happened. And so then when you see change, you see policy change, because mm-hmm. legislators get involved mm-hmm. and the state gets involved. And when you see that happen, you feel like, oh, wow, I really can make a difference. I've often thought, you know, I worked really hard to get good grades. I won't say that I was smart, but I knew how to study and I would get good grades. Why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? Or I could really make a difference. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, we do a story like that that we feel like makes a difference. And I'm currently working on a story about a state mental hospital that reminds me of Dawson State Jail. And we'll have more on that coming up in May. But it just got, has similarities where we keep hearing the cries. So we do our first story. Mm-hmm. And we tell about one person it's happened to. And then we get another credible report about another. And then we get a lawsuit filed about another. And then we dig into open records and we find out there's been complaints against them. And then legislators start hearing our story. So ultimately, we're able to make change. That's so pretty rewarding. How big of a team of people are working on these with you? So, Because that's, I mean, that's a big undertaking to, to uncover yeah. a lot of this. Um, our I-team in, consists of... Three investigative reporters, three producers, two photographers, and one editor. And typically on a story like that, I'm working with 
one, maybe two producers, but typically one, and the two of us are doing it together. And then we're really blessed with some amazing photographers who are like producers, so they mm-hmm. also are lending their brains in on this. And then we have managers, executive producers, and and a news director. We have a new news director right now who's so excited about being involved in our investigation, so you get tons of support that way. There's a lot of brainstorming going mm-hmm. on. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. It, it, it really just the, the amount of on. work though that goes into it because I mean you're 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 probably having to dig through loads of paperwork trying to uncover the proverbial needle in the haystack. We are. We are. And and it it does. It takes a whole crew. And so we don't do it alone. But um some of the fun things people like to ask us about that some of these crews do. Mm-hmm. We go in undercover a lot, so I joked with you in the beginning that I, you know, was recording you. Like we have a undercover camera that fits in something that looks just like my remote. I'm picking up oh my. Oh my god! Are you I'm serious? Never, I'm never so, spending any more time with you outside. Yeah. The con- I mean, I am so worried right now. <laughs> you, I mean, I'm telling you through the years. Uh-huh. I'm looking at your hat and glasses. You easily could be recording me that way because yeah, we have had every undercover item or camera hidden in an item somewhere. We've put them in purses. We've mm-hmm. put them in eyeglasses. We've put them you in You didn't hats. record anything on the last two spring breaks, did you? <laughs> Just- <laughs> okay. I didn't, but my head That's where I was going, Brett. <laughs> That's where I was going. Thank you. Yeah, especially for you. Definitely have some great oh video of you. Um, so, so going He's back to the glasses quickly. and the hat. Let's change the subject. Going back to the, back to the glasses and the hat. So, so, uh, there's m- many devices that you guys yes. are are armed with that you guys can go out there and record audio video. What are okay? So, are there any concerns regarding how that is captured and whether or not you know you guys would be held liable for? Absolutely, and that's a really interesting question. Um, I, and I guess another person on our team is our legal team out of New York, which kind of directs us in everything okay. we do. But, um, yes, you, and this is just good for every person out there to mm-hmm. know you have right now, you have a right to privacy. I could not be recording you right now and use it on TV because inside your home, you have every right to believe you have privacy. You have a right to privacy. Once you go into a doctor's office and you go into a room uh-huh. But anytime you're in the lobby or in an area where anyone in the public can walk into, it's game on. We can record you and we can broadcast it. And so, you don't have to notify or anything. Absolutely not. So isn't there something like on, on recorded phone calls? I, I hear people talk about if you don't let the person know that they're being recorded. It depends what state. There's uh, one and two party state consent. Gotcha. And and then there's federal rules that kind of are guidelines for us that dictate when we can use that information and not use that information. Well, one of the reasons I'm asking this question because recently I saw something in the news and I don't want to get into the story itself at all, but the folks who recorded the Planned Parenthood people, the video that was captured as part of that whole story that broke, I guess what mm-hmm. a year, year yep. and a half ago, that 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 there were found to be held liable for the manner in which they recorded it and the circumstances. Uh, but 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 applying that to you and what you do, I didn't know. Obviously, there are sensitivities there that you guys Hugely. have to be ma- mindful of. I know you don't want to get into this, yeah. but that uh, that judge in that oh, case has actually donated to Planned Parenthood uh, okay. throughout the years. See, I didn't so want to make this bias, political. But I didn't want to do it. Anyway. Okay. See how quickly I step away from the mic? Yeah. <laughs> No, but there's there's things that you must be mindful of, checks and balances that you, and hoops that you have to go through Absolutely. in order to incorporate it as part of a story that's actually put out there. There's all kinds of secrets we learn through yeah. the years about where we can do that. For example, um, we can't pass a no trespassing sign. But if one of the stories I'm working right now is a, a murder mystery about a well-known lawyer, Ira Tobolowsky. Mm-hmm. And you may remember that. He was um, he lives not far from here, where we're recording this. And um, someone went into his home around 6 a.m., into his garage, created a fire in his house, and he died. He was later found murdered in his garage. And that happened almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. He was well-known, well-loved, prominent attorney, and there still hasn't been an arrest. And we're still digging into that. In fact, we're about to have more information come out 
about it. Do you don't want to break it right here on the podcast? We can do that. <laughs> what would you like to know? <laughs> <laughs> Who did it? Was I it don't. Rob? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't know who did it. But bring, talking about where we can go and where we can't go, there were a couple of homes in some apartments where search warrants were served, and, and we will reveal some of that information in our story. So when you talk about going to an apartment complex, and can we go all the way to the apartment if it's gated? Think about it. The gates are closed, but as media, if those gates open, and you can, can walk you in. drive in? Yep. Yeah. So, so can we. Yeah. So these are just some of the you know secrets you learn of journalism. If the public can go there and they can do it, then we can go there and we can do it. If you can record video on your phone in a location, then we can record it. Have you ever recorded uh, or put out a story, an investigative report that ended up in a, in a crime being solved? Yeah, it's a heartbreaking one. You kind of just struck a chord with okay. me. Um, many times. There's one, though, that still haunts me. It was back to Bakersfield, back mm-hmm. to my days back then. I remember I get really emotional. We talked about you knowing, you know, we're friends, so mm-hmm. you know the friend side of yeah. me. So you take a lot of these things home with you. And um, it was another murder case. And... Gosh, you probably don't even want this for your podcast. It's very sad. Um, I stood with a father really mourning the loss of his child. Mm-hmm. I remember shaking his hand. I still remember that. That's what bothers me so bad about this. And telling him I would pray for him. Mm. And we were standing not far from where the child's body had been rolled in a sleeping bag and was found. And can you guess who did it? The father? Yes. Oh, my God. But fortunately, our digging and our investigation laid you know, led to discovering that's what had happened. Oh but gosh. some of these stick with you. Like oh, that's, that's back to insane. my Bakersfield days. That's a wow. long time ago. So I don't know why that one came to mind, but that's a crime that still haunts me. So you've got murder, you've got, um, you know, <coughs> jail issues. I mean, inefficiencies in terms of how, mm-hmm. you know, institutions are run with taxpayer dollars. What else? I mean, you guys do a lot of consumer-type I love the consumer, too. That's fun. I like those. <laughs> There's no threat there. You know, you're just, you're informing people on how to make better decisions. You did ask me, what other types of stories? You asked yeah. me if I was ever scared, and that led to some of the weather coverage I had yeah. covered. There was one other time I, I remember very well being scared, and it turned out not to be anything now that I should have been afraid about, but I called Scott at the time. And I think it was before my son was even born. But I said, this is probably the most afraid I've ever been. I just want to tell you I love you. Mm-hmm. It was after 9-11. And you may or may not remember this, but there was a radiologist in San Antonio, Albador Alhazmi, who they thought had funded the attacks. That he was one of the people that had funded the attacks. So they sent me down to San Antonio for two weeks to dig into that, find out what we could find out about him. So I'm going to fast forward really fast and tell you he was completely cleared. And it was one of the, my most favorite interviews ever because I went back and had the chance to interview him Happy about how he had been so scrutinized and ostracized and accused. And he really was completely innocent. Went back to the Middle East, moved out of Texas, and I assume has never come back. But he agreed to an interview before he left. But that was about two years later. So when we went down there mm-hmm. and hit his neighborhood, within a week, you know, you had media from all over the country coming in sure. because you thought he was, was a potential terrorist. And you're thinking it's a sleeper cell or something. And oh, I'm it's thinking be so scary. the door's booby trapped as I'm walking up to the door. Yeah. And I can still see his neighborhood, and I can still remember calling Scott and saying, I have to go to the door. I have to go knock. This is my job, but I'm uneasy. There were kids' toys, you know, little tricycles. and He was a father. He had two small children. Yeah. All just like yours, probably. If we looked out back, you know, there's kids. There's signs of kids everywhere. Yeah. But I remember thinking with each step, I didn't know if he was a potential terrorist who had just created this disaster and tragedy and was I about to go knock on the door and who was going to answer and did I really want someone to answer? So that was the time I was terrified. You know, completely off topic, but that reminds me, remember the, in the Atlanta Olympics, the guy they thought put the bomb there and apparently he didn't do it and it completely ruined his life. He couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. 
That's horrible. And we realize we run that potential with every single story. And so I talked about my favorite person on my team is a man named Andy Siegel, who's a brilliant lawyer out of New York, who reads everything we do before we it say goes it. on the investigative. Yes, investigative wise. Yeah. Now, when you're live on a breaking situation, yeah, no, but I mean, but we're always writing the risk of potentially yeah. defaming someone or being wrong. Yeah. And yeah. you have to be careful about that. So have you ever been working on, a, on an investigative report, you're fired up, you're passionate about it, um, only to be scooped by another station? Gosh, that's never happened to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure that it has. I'm trying to think of an example. Yeah. But what tip, that happens more in, um, for whatever reason, unless we're digging into something political or a well-known um, something's happened and then we're just going to try to expand it and work harder on it. We typically here locally are working on different big investigations. Mm-hmm. For example, I was the only one that covered the Dawson State Jail. Um, the others may be digging into the murder that we just talked about. But I think in the investigative units, we typically enterprise those stories and come up with our own. So what Brett Chip might be working with on at Channel 8 is not typically what I'm working on. But if we do find out we're working on the same thing and we might have some scoop about it, then we typically try to scoop each other. But I would also say, speaking of Brett and some of the other investigative journalists in town, there's a... There's a respect too. Yeah. You know, that's his. He's been covering it. Yeah. There's plenty other out there for me to cover. Well, On a daily basis, the general assignment reporters are doing everything they can to beat one another and scoop one another. And you're Do they in go so far as to like, I mean, here's a stupid question to follow each other? I mean, not that, I mean, maybe that's a question you wouldn't answer if you No. But I mean, I, you know, I mean, is it that competitive where it's like, I want to know what the, what the competitor in town is doing? Here, where are they going? On an investigative level, yeah. something that does happen, we typically file what's called open records request. And, and I mean, talk about making a nerd of myself. There's nothing more exciting than filing an open records request for information, complaints, enforcement actions, whatever it may be, that the general public can't get on a daily basis. We know we can go to the state agency and get. And I don't know why I get so excited about it, but when that big stack of papers or that email comes through mm-hmm. where they've responded and they haven't, Texas is known for going to the attorney general and not wanting to give you, Texas agencies are not wanting to give you the information. When it comes through, I mean, it could be pages and pages and pages of documents and numbers that you have to dig through, but it's like Christmas to me. I get so <laughs> excited about having it. So do we do, we do something, and I'm going to tell you, I promise, I've never done this. But there is a way to open records request what someone else's open records requested. Oh, right, right. And that is, we kind of make tell. fun of each other yeah. for that, but yeah. that does happen. Okay. So that that's the way we kind that. of, that's kind of the equivalent of following them on the street. Too. Yeah. We oh, follow them down the paper trail to see what they might be digging up. That makes sense. All right. So it is April 2nd, right? Yeah, April 2nd. You can't pull a joke on me now. No, it can't pull a joke on you. <laughs> but y- y'all are breaking a story on tonight's. Uh, it's probably already it's probably aired. Already now. aired. Yeah. It did. Tell us a little bit about the story that that broke tonight. So we called this one "Lights Out in Louisville." We have done a lot of work in the I team on lights out along the highways, and that might not seem like a big deal, but those lights are put there for a reason. The lights are put up to prevent accidents and problems. And so, if a city or state is not turning them back on, and there's a problem, mm-hmm. and we like to. One thing we say we like to do is give a voice to those who may not have a voice if we're not their yeah. voice. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you, if a person has had an accident, then, and it's because of the lights, we're trying to get the lights turned back on. There's a more than 30-mile strip in Louisville where they're working on the 35E project, and the lights have been out, and there's a problem with the roadway. And because of the problem in the roadway, a couple motorists, uh, motorcyclists have fallen and couldn't, they say, couldn't see the spot where there was a problem. So we've been working to get those lights turned back on and we've actually been able to get the road fixed out there. Good. So because it's there's just been, kind of exciting to be able to do that. You some know? bad injuries out there. Well, ironically, this doesn't happen very often. This is almost on a smaller scale the equivalent of the horrible tragedy of the baby being born in the jail while we were investigating. Mm-hmm. On this story, we got called by uh, a guy who had crashed on the highway because of this bad lip in the road and uneven asphalt and he couldn't see it so we went out to do shoot put on tape an intro and a tag to tonight's story and the second we pulled up we saw lights and sirens rushing to the same location 
Oh, no way. Yeah, and, and we thought to ourselves, is that going to be another accident? Turned out to be another accident, exactly in the same location, a motorcyclist who had hit the same uneven asphalt and stood there all bloody, and you see him in tonight's report saying, oh. I just fell because I couldn't see this. So he gave us the same interview, wow. live standing there bleeding, that the person that we had been out to visit a week before. I mean, it's just irony that we ended on this. Yeah. That stuff doesn't happen very often. I've given you two examples probably in yeah. my whole career where you know something kind of odd like that happens. So the the source of the stories that you guys pursue, so we talked about social media and I mean, it's it's one social media is just one aspect of this, but the access that people now have to the station, to reporters like you, mm-hmm. how how often are you flooded with news story ideas or tips? And then what is the process through which you guys go through to cull through to qualify what's legitimate, disqualify mm-hmm. what's not legitimate? Um, so right now I'll pick up my phone and I'll tell you, I've had the same email for, what is this, 19 years now? I'm not even doing the math. Am I doing that? 18 years. And let's see how many. Ginger I have Allen at AOL.com. Ginger A. <laughs> no, let's get this out there. At for prodigy.net. <laughs> Ginger A at KTVT.com has existed mm-hmm. for 18 years. And right now I have 207 emails, um, that I haven't read today. I would say that 20 of those are story ideas that have just come through today. So I'm blessed that people will go to our website and find those. But of those 20, let's do tw- let's say I get 100 a week. Two of them to, to 10 might be a legitimate story that we can go after. We want people calling us. We want people telling us, but we have to vet them out. Mm-hmm. So some of them are just things that don't rise to the how, level. How many of them are okay? Wait a second. Uh, you get you get an email that says seriously, there's there's been UFOs that have landed. My back. just crazy. So funny you just said that. <laughs> I was going to give you a crazy caller story, yeah. and you just touched on it completely. What it is in Cincinnati, the same guy would call the desk every day. I was there for two years. And very seriously tell us that a small spaceship had just landed on his window seal. So I was thinking about that as you were saying that. That's 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 incredible. Yes, the UFO had just landed. What are the other crazy things you get that are? Oh gosh, I'm gonna. The stuff that you you look at the email and go, oh come on. Well, I mean. With all due respect, I don't want to make fun of people that send us emails, and I encourage everyone to send us sure. emails. But every once in a while, you'll get one. You know, I bought this car and it's not running. And well, what did you pay for it? A hundred dollars. Well, it's not running. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they really can be that ridiculous. Yeah. Um, a lot of them don't rise to the level that we're able to broadcast them, but we might be able to put them in the right direction of a regulatory agency like or somewhere. Yes, or and it's sad. Police. But you guys are very in tune to journalism. I'm so impressed with this because, unfortunately, that's when we get so much. And you just, CPS issues and child protective services, you can't dig into every one of them. And talk about how you vet a story. It's unbelievable how much information we have to go get to make sure that we're not defaming someone Mm-hmm. And that what we're reporting is correctly because then I remember I've got to take it back to that attorney and make sure we get it through the attorney before we ever get it on air. So there's a lot of vetting that goes into to every email we get, if we vet out all of the emails, everything we get, but every story for sure. So how often, um, when, you, when you pursue a story, um, does it actually get to the point of where you put something out on the air. Mm-hmm. And then how many stories are you working on at any given time, at any point in time? Okay. So I could be working on anywhere from four to ten investigations that we're digging into. So I would say I probably have ten on my plate right now. Mm-hmm. One aired tonight. Three will air in May. Okay. And then I've probably got six others that they're on my wish list. Like, I got to get to that. I know that's a good story. Some of them might be just a small consumer type story. Sure. Some might be a huge investigation. Some might be digging into a local story that we just need to dig a little bit deeper into. But I always say I have so many balls in the air and yeah. I can't keep like, you know, they don't all fall. But the flip side of that is I can't tell you how often we start digging into something and we can work on it for a long time. And then 
you've put all these hours and work into it, and you decide it's There's not going to work at all. There. This is shut or down. That attorney in New York or your boss comes along and says, "Sorry, mm-mm, that's not going to work." Wow. Or wow. you decide, you know, this is not right. No, there was this little bitty thing that I didn't know. It could be someone coming to you with something, and you dig yeah. into. We have to dig into people's background. You know, if you brought a story to me, I need to make sure you're not an extremely t- litigious person who's just complaining about yeah. everything. Yeah, that's a good right. point. All right, so our time is starting to wind down here. So I got a couple questions for you, and, and I'll let Rob finish with a couple questions too. Who in the uh, in the Metroplex do you in your industry do you really look up to? Who are your? You, you mentioned I Tracy. About Tracy. At, yeah, I love Tracy. Um, I think he's probably my all-time favorite here. He's a journalist that just truly... My favorite journalists are the ones who are the same on-air as they are Mm -hmm. off-air. And the same one that are just as genuine on the set as they are off. And I think another person that does it really well, I got to stick with CBS people, you know that, is Karen Borda. She has has been an anchor with us as long as I've been there. And she's just a genuine, sweet, caring person. And I think you talked about your daughter wanting to do this. The best advice I can give a journalist is, yes, go learn to speak, go learn to write, but report from your heart. I mean, everything you give and everything you do, do the best that you can do. But then when you're delivering that, people are going to listen to you like they listen to Tracy or listen to Karen. If you're delivering it like you, your care rather than becoming... Ginger Allen, the reporter, or Ginger Allen, the anchor. You're, you're Ginger Allen, the mom, the person who can relate to this problem and really wants to solve it for you. Yeah, and so my, my last question for you is, because you do have two kids, do you find yourself, is, it, is this something that you're able to keep those balls in the air, personal and professional, and still do it while, it, and it's like, oh, i got a football game tonight, i got to get there, but I'll go to the office afterwards, or... Is, is that kind of the benefit of all the yeah. time? <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel so much better. Oh my goodness! It is. I, it's just a challenge, mm-hmm. and you're both working dads with wives who know that too. I mean, it's just. I love what you said about the balance. It's extremely tough. Yeah, I do a lot of yeah. praying about it. I think we multitask a lot. Don't you hear that? Mm-hmm. I, mean, oh, yeah. I would ask that exact same question to you two. How 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 do we do it? You just multitask, you know. Which Getting ready for work, bad. you're helping with homework at the same time. <laughs> it, which which reminds me, I was in a, a a meeting in a you know conference room, a bunch of people there, and I'm doing something, and somebody's asking me a question. It's like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear it. I was multitasking, and he goes, "Well, I guess really you weren't then, were you?" <laughs> and it it was one of those that hit me. It's like, no, I, you're right. I shouldn't be multitasking. <laughs> I need to focus on one thing at a time. <laughs> you could have told yeah. me you were prioritizing, and what he was saying just wasn't quite yeah. as important as everything else, right? <laughs> Well, thanks so much for being here. I really you appreciate it. You guys are it. great interviewers. Anything, Rob? Well, you Is just it? you just thanked her. I had like a litany of oh, questions, but no, that's no. that's that's okay. Can, no, I no, I, I don't. I don't still ask a question. No, no. I guess the the only thing I'm teasing, of course, Brett, as you know. No, but Hurts but my, my, my only other question is so. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> I mean, just with the proliferation of cable news and um, all of the media that people consume today. Right on their phone, on their iPads or laptops, um, people's bandwidth is you know, and their attention spans have narrowed. So, the the pressure for the local news stations like CBS to to capture a share of that, whether that's in the morning or at five o'clock mm-hmm. or you know at ten o'clock, what 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 are those type? You know, how are you guys attacking that? Um, what are you guys trying to do to kind of get yourself out there so that you differentiate yourself not only locally but nationally and all the other stuff that's out there? I think it's the greatest challenge that we face, and it's changed in my business so much because there are so many avenues mm-hmm. that you're talking about of where people can go get their news. So I think the most important thing we do at our station is try to enterprise those stories and tell them from the heart that you're not hearing anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Because when it just comes to that daily news or why the, you know, why Susie saw what she saw on the highway, we can go Google all of that. We want to try to tell you something that 
you can't go to the national news for, Mm -hmm. you can't go get on Twitter, you can't go read on Facebook, something you won't see anywhere else except on the 10 o'clock news tonight. Mm -hmm. And that falls back on us a lot. But there are so many different places that people go get news. I mean, when I first started in this business, it was radio, newspaper, and TV. Yeah. And you decided which journalism avenue you wanted to go down. And now there are so many others. And that's the greatest challenge. And particularly these young journalists coming up, you've got to learn how to to handle each one of those mediums. You have to be able to do all of it. Because I have to, my story that went on news tonight at 10 also had a print version that went on air that needed to be written, written like a print version. Right, right. And then we typically go do radio promotion on them. You have to know how to yeah. speak about them. So that's my best advice to journalists, but it is our greatest challenge. We still haven't got it figured out. If you could come consult us on that, well, no, that would I be mean, great. I, I mean, it's just it's, it's in one example of an industry that's been turned upside down Completely. just in terms of the disruption that's well, gone think on what's with happened technology. To newspapers. Yeah, no, it's they not. All, it's, it's so true. Yeah. And we know you have so many places to turn. So that challenge, it, we used to call it appointment TV. So coming up tonight at 10, Ginger Allen will have this. Well, we actually now know people are not sitting down and writing, you know, you might do it. If you saw me during the day or on our trip and I told you about a story, you might make an appointment to go watch it. But the average person out there listening is not. We've got to grab their attention the best we can and then make them loyal to our station. Yeah. It's not appointment TV. It's not appointment TV anymore. Like like Rob Flint wearing a women's bathing suit. That would be appointment TV. And for those of you listening, (laughs) I do have that video and it might be on tomorrow night at 10. I will, I will, I mean, in slow mo. I think think the dynamics of our relationship has changed and it will forever be just just vanilla. I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. Talk about nervous, and that'll bring this full circle. I do not like being on this side of the mic, just so you know. Like, oh my God. You, for the last hour, have done what I do. I've been on the Rachel Ray show. We've had Dateline come interview us about different types of stories that we have done. I do not like being in the seat. So I'm so glad this hour is over. I mean, did I do oh okay? You did great. No, you did, you did awesome. fantastic. Because you, you did great as interviewers. You did great. But it's very uncomfortable when you're used to being in the seat you're in. No, that's why I like being in this seat. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything interesting to talk about. So that is so it, not true. It would be a 30 second interview of me. And I'm sure you have some more video of Rob that I'm unaware of. No, 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 no. Yes, I actually do from the, from this last spring break that was, uh, let's say it was revealing. Ironically, I was there for that as well, but never saw that video. Ginger needs to make sure that she maintains, you know, a good a good image because she doesn't want her colleagues at CBS to, to know that she commingles with people like me, so... <laughs> <laughs> I am so proud to do that. She'll distance from us, I'm sure. Ah, uh, yes. No, I like will. everybody I'm, else does. Brett, I'm yeah, so well, flattered as they should. I'm so flattered by the number of people and the people that you have had on the show that you would even well, be interested you, in me. So thank this you. This has been great. I mean, uh, this is. I think there isn't anybody who's listening that you know wouldn't want to ask you a ton of questions. You know, we just we just hit the tip of the iceberg. So thank you for being here and for being so candid. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Jenny. You bet. Really the next time there's an opening at CBS 11, I'm calling you too. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. This is the Insignificant Others podcast with Ginger Allen. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>